Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Good to be with you all today. And I'm thankful to gather here on this Christmas Eve morning, and I've got a message for you from God's Word. So if you would, uh, please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. And while you're uh, turning there in your Bible, I'd love to just say something about the Bible, which is that uh, it is a wonderful gift, uh, that book. And the Bible tells us everything that we need to know about God. And it tells us everything we need to know about ourselves. And that being said, uh, the Bible is a complete and compelling story about who God is and who you are. And if you don't have one to call your own, we'd love to give you one as a gift today. Uh, On your way out here uh, this morning at various tables, there's Bibles just sitting there. Pick one up and take one for yourself. So uh, I love the Bible and I love Christmas Uh, But let me clue you into a challenge that I face as a pastor, which is that trying to find a Christmas message in this book can actually be quite challenging. Um, And it's not because there's any lack of the Christmas story in this book, but because there's so many places that you could choose from. For instance, we could look to the Old Testament, places like Isaiah chapter 9, which prophesied about the coming of Jesus by saying, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a pretty good Christmas message right there, isn't it? Uh, We could look into the Gospels. Luke does a pretty good job telling us about Mary and Joseph, or about the angels and the shepherds. We could look into Matthew's gospel, which begins with the genealogy of Jesus, and it's more than just a list of names. It tells us how Jesus came into this world as a man. Matthew also tells us the story of the wise men, which is a good one. John talks about the light of God that has come into the world. So all throughout the Bible, you've got the Christmas story, and from many different vantage points, you could look into this story. Uh, But as I was looking through my Bible this year to find the Christmas message, I was drawn to the book of Galatians. And if you know about Galatians, you might be thinking, really? The Christmas story is in Galatians? Because isn't that a book where Paul is refuting Jewish legalism? Um, Yes, it is. But in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, There's a very simple and clear message about what Christmas is all about. And it's that God sent forth his son into this world to be born as a child so that one day he would die on a cross to redeem us. And so let me read Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, and you can tell me if this sounds like Christmas. So here it is. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Does that sound like Christmas? Amen. Well, let's pray and ask that God would speak to us today. God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that each person that is here today is here for a purpose. Lord, you plan for them to be here. You've drawn them to this place. And God, I pray that as we look into your word today, 
God, that we would see the greatness of Jesus and that we would see that you came into this world born as a child to redeem us and to adopt us as your children, God. And I pray that we would cherish that gift in our hearts here this morning. For those who have not yet received that gift, I pray today would be the day that they do. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas Eve morning. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, as I mentioned, Galatians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And what the letter does is it deals very carefully with the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel at that time was being compromised because people were trying to make it into this legal relationship rather than God's loving relationship through grace. And, and so what Paul does is he builds this very well-crafted case for why grace is better than the law. And right in the midst of that, where Paul is showing us that we are no longer slaves to the law of sin and death, but that by the grace of God, we have been made heirs of God, having become his children. And, and these words, what they're doing is they're explaining in pretty deep but accurate detail what God the Father was doing when he sent forth God the Son to be born of a virgin in a little town called Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. So today is Jesus' birthday. That's what we're celebrating. And so I've got three very simple points from these two verses that I'd like to share with you. And look, I've got three points from my message today. So here they are. Number one, we are told when Jesus came. Number two, we are told how Jesus came. Number three, we are told why Jesus came. So first, when did Jesus come? Well, Paul writes in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come. So he's speaking here about time. And time is a reality that we all live by. Each of us has 24 hours in a day, 700, uh, seven, not 700 days in a week, I wish, seven days in a week. 365 days in a year, that's unless you've got a leap year, right? It's coming to the end of the year, you're probably very thankful that 2023 is behind you and you've got a new year starting. But no one has any more time and no one has any less time. Time is fixed for us as humans. But God, on the other hand, is not bound by time. He is eternal by nature. You see, God has no beginning, and God has no end. He always has existed, and He always will exist. We, on the other hand, have not always existed, because we as humans were created by God. And, you know, we all have birthdays, just like Jesus had a birthday that we're celebrating today, but we have birthdays where a date in time you were born to a mother and to a father. And, you know, we measure a lot of things from that date and time. For instance, what table you'll be sitting at here on Christmas dinner. Who's, who's sitting at the kids' table still? Anyone's? Yes, thank you for the honesty. Wonderful. But if you think about it, we measure a lot of things by time. Even today, you chose a service to come to, 8 o'clock, 9.30 or 11, you've come to the 9.30 service, kind of right in the middle of the day, not too early, so you can kind of have a slow start, but 
not too late, because we all know what you have to do. You've got to cook that prime rib here for Christmas dinner. So, And there's a specific time that you need to put the prime rib in the oven, and we know that there's a right way to cook it. In my family, we cook prime rib at 500 degrees, just high heat right there at the start, and then we turn the oven off, and you keep the oven door shut. And if anyone opens that oven door before the time is right, you are sitting at the kids' table, <laughs> right? And so we talk about there being perfect timing. And that's the essence of what Paul is saying here when he says, but when the fullness of time had come, you know, when everything was right, when it was the best time, when it was the opportune time, it was the perfect time, everything had been lined up just as God had planned. It wasn't too early, it wasn't too late, but when the fullness of time had come, something happened. What happens? We'll look at verse four again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God timed the coming of his son perfectly. And this was a plan that God had made in eternity past, whenever that was, right? And God decided even before the foundations of the earth that the lamb would be slain. Even before mankind was created, even before sin entered the world, God already knew that he would send forth his son into this world to redeem his creation. What a glorious mystery that is. Now, if you think about it, God could have sent his son at many different times in history. Here as a church, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and we just finished Hebrews 11 that spoke about these great moments in the purposes and the plans of God. And if you think about it, God could have sent his son right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. That would have been a good time. God could have sent his son right after Cain killed Abel, or after Noah survived the flood, or after Abraham offered up Isaac. God could have sent his son right after Moses received the law. You know, like right after the people were dancing around a golden calf, that might have been a good time for God to send his son. Or perhaps after David had sat upon the throne as the king of Israel, because Jesus is the son of David, you know, and instead of Solomon coming next, maybe Jesus could have come after that. Any one of those moments could have been a good time, but it would not have been the fullness of time. See, this is, this is, this is telling us something that we can be really grateful for which is that God is always on time. God is never early, like if you came early to service today because you thought it started at nine. God is never late. No problem if you were late. It might have just been hard to get a seat, right? But God is never early. God is never late. God is always on time because God always comes forth at the time that he has planned to bring about his purposes. And so the fullness of God's plan culminated when God sent forth his son into this world. That leads right up to our second point, which is how did God send his son? Well, verse four says, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So every word here is telling us something that's really just wonderful about Jesus. First, we see that God is the one that is behind this whole plan. You know, God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. That is how the Bible reveals God to us. We actually see in verse 6, which we're not going to get to today, but the very next verse talks about how God the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in the believer so that we can cry out within our spirits that we are children of God saying, God, Abba, Father, Daddy. And, and so God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. God is one person, one div- or one divine being who consists in three persons. And look, while that's hard for the human mind to comprehend, I even just got slipped up in my words right there. God has revealed himself throughout the pages of Scripture in this way. And so we're told here that at the right time, God the Father sent forth God the Son. How? By being born of a woman. God the Son became an infant child. At a specific time in history, we know that God added humanity to his deity. And that's what we celebrate here at Christmas. We celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God in the birth of Jesus Christ. So this is what we believe, that God came and dwelled among his creation so that he could redeem his creation from the fall of man. And so the Apostle John puts it this way in his gospel. In John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if Jesus, the Son of God, came forth from God the Father, that would mean that he would have had to dwell with the Father, and that's exactly the case. God has always dwelled together in perfect unity as one divine being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But at the right time, the Son was sent down from heaven to earth. The word sent forth is where we get the word apostle, which means sent one. And so Jesus is the truest sense of the, an apostle, one who was sent from heaven to earth on a rescue mission, a mission to save us from our sins, and he did that by being born. And so Jesus came down from heaven so that we can dwell with the Father, and then Jesus even went back to heaven so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us. But before we get too deep into the Trinity here on Christmas Eve, Let's consider the next words that tell us about how Jesus was sent from the Father. In verse 4, it says, God's Son was born of a woman. So at the fullness of time, Jesus came into this world by being born to a virgin woman. That woman's name, of course, was Mary. She was a woman that was shown blessing and favor from God. She got to carry 
the Messiah in her womb. Remember, this was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. In fact, it was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The very first prophecy of the Bible says that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise his heel. That is a prophecy about how Jesus would be born of a woman in order to defeat sin and Satan. The angel Gabriel came and told Mary how this was all going to happen in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 to 35. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? It's a good question to ask. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Then on the day that Jesus was born, an angel came again and appeared to shepherds that were out in the field, keeping watch on, of their flock by night. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 12, this is what we read. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So these two records are telling us that God became a humble baby in the person of Jesus Christ. God planned that Jesus would come in this way. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would come in this way. Angels pronounced that Jesus would come in this way. Mary had planned and prepared herself for Jesus, her firstborn, to come in this way. But she ever thought about Joseph? What about Joseph, you know, Mary's husband-to-be. They were betrothed. It was like his fiance was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. How do you think he responded to all of this? Well, notice that it does not say in our text that God's son was born to man. What does it say? It says he was born of woman which is not the usual way that Jewish births were documented. It was through the male lineage that Jewish births were recorded. And so it, it says that God sent forth his son born of woman. And so Joseph, as just of a man he was, probably a pretty good dude, he was not the biological father of Jesus. The father of Jesus is God. And the mother of Jesus is Mary. Therefore, united in one person, Jesus is both fully God and fully man. 
This is what we believe about Jesus. He's the God-man. That is what Joseph was told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I love those words. If you want to know how the birth of Jesus took place, you could read it right here. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that's pretty much the historical record of how God sent forth his son. Jesus was born to a virgin woman, and that is a very important truth to what we believe as Christians. But notice what else it says in verse 4, that Jesus was born under the law. So Jesus was God at his birth, but he was also man at his birth. And since Jesus became a Jewish man, he was subjected to the laws of God. So Jesus lived his whole life under the old covenant law throughout his entire life. We know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So Jesus was born, and he observed the law. He was on the eighth day, as a Hebrew male child, he was circumcised. He was consecrated by the, to the Lord in the temple because he was the firstborn. Even a sacrifice of two pigeons or two doves was made in keeping with the law of God. Jesus observed the Sabbath. He observed all the yearly feasts. For instance, when he got lost as a young boy in Jerusalem, it's because they went there for Passover. Jesus honored his mother and his father, both his earthly parents and his heavenly father. He followed the Ten Commandments. In, in fact, he followed all 613 commandments that are found in God's law. Jesus was born under the law, and he perfectly fulfilled the law at the fullness of time. Why does this all matter? It matters because God sent forth his son under the law as one who would live in perfect obedience to the law. Why would that be needed? It is because there's been no human being apart from Jesus who has ever fully obeyed the law. We have not fulfilled the law. We are, therefore, what the Bible calls sinners. And we need 
saving. Now, Jesus didn't remain a baby, right? We know that he grew up, and he grew up with a purpose, that one day he would die upon a cross. But as a young child, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with both God and man. As an adult, Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And because he had perfect obedience throughout his entire life, that is from the time that he was born all the way to the time that he died, Jesus was therefore qualified to be a sacrifice for sins when he died. So Jesus was born under the law. But Jesus never broke the law. He perfectly fulfilled it. Jesus never sinned, and that is why he could become a substitute for sin. And that leads us to our third and final point, right? Which is, why did Jesus come? Well, we're told that in verse 5. Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So in the same way that Jesus was born under the law, we all were also born under the law. The law of God is what the Jewish people were born under, and they tried to observe it, and they failed. There's also what we would consider the law of conscience, that every single person uh, in the world has been born into and have tried to observe, and we failed. So no one has ever been able to keep the law. Not a single person. We all have broken. We've all transgressed the law in some way or another, except for Jesus. And so what the law really ends up doing is it ends up showing us that we are lawbreakers. And the law brought sin, and sin brought death, and death has spread to all because all sin. Therefore, the Bible says that because of the law, we have all become slaves to sin and death. Now, this is true. I was born into slavery. You were born into slavery. Slavery to sin and death. And you might be saying, I was born into slavery. Even Jesus, when he was alive, was talking to some Jewish religious leaders, and he says, you are slaves to sin. And they're like, we've never been enslaved to anybody. And it's really interesting if you think about that, because the Jews were enslaved at many times in their history. And sometimes we come to this, and it's hard for us to understand and grasp this idea that we would be considered slaves to sin, but the Bible teaches that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And I don't know how much I really need to do here this morning to try to convince anyone that they have sinned in some point or another. And the Bible says if you fail in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. And so if you've sinned, you've become a slave to sin, which means that you need freedom and redemption from slavery. Because the Bible teaches that Jesus can set you free. He says that those whom the Son have set free are free indeed. And that's exactly what this word redeem means. It means to be purchased out of slavery. 
See, Jesus purchased your freedom from sin slavery when he satisfied the penalty of the law, which is death. He died in our place in order to pay our debt of sin so that we can go free. So you today can be rescued by the Son of God. Jesus gave up his own life for your redemption. And redemption's incredible, and it can only be found in and through Jesus Christ. But notice that God did not stop there. We can and should be grateful for redemption, the fact that we no longer need to be slaves to sin. But God went even further. It says he adopted us as his sons and daughters. Verse 5 says we were redeemed so that we might receive adoption as sons. So redemption had to happen first, but God went further and he made us his children. So if you think about that, it's one thing to no longer be a slave to sin. That's, that's a gift from God. That is a wonderful grace. But it's a whole nother thing to be made sons and daughters of God, to be heirs of all that belongs to God. And this is what it's telling us. It's telling us that God didn't just want to have a legal relationship with us, but God wanted to have a loving relationship with us. This is what God desires for each one of us, that we would be adopted as his children. And you know, adoption in Paul's day this, this could happen where a slave could be made into a son. A slave could have their freedom purchased at the redemptive price. But for a slave to be made a son, that's a whole nother level of care and commitment. That's, that's a whole nother step of love. So for a slave to have freedom, that's a gift. But then for a slave to receive the promised inheritance as though they were a legal member of the family, to go from a slave to a son, wow, that is a gift. And that is what God did when he sent forth his son. Jesus died on a cross and shed his blood Jesus was buried in a tomb, and three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead so that by his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus secured our redemption and our adoption. That's good news. But none of that would have been possible if God had not, at the right time, sent forth his son to be born of a woman. That's something we can be grateful for here on Christmas Eve. Well, as we end here today, you've heard three simple truths about Christmas. You've been told when Jesus came, he came at the fullness of time. You've been told how Jesus came, he came forth from the Father, born of a woman, born under the law. And we've been told why Jesus came. He came to redeem us and to adopt us as sons and daughters. See, that's good news that is worth responding to. And let me tell you three ways 
that you can respond to this message that you've just heard here this morning. First, when should you respond to this message? Well, God had a plan to bring his son at the fullness of time. But do you know that God also has a plan for your life? You see, God has a plan, and in his plan, he even brought you here today at this very moment so that you could hear this message about Jesus. And today is Christmas Eve. You know, what better day is there to receive the gift of redemption and adoption that comes through Jesus Christ? You can receive this amazing gift that God is freely offering to you. Even this morning at the 8 o'clock service, there were some who received this great gift of God called salvation. You know, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. So there's no better day, there's no better time for you to believe in Jesus than today. Pastor Rob, 38 years ago today, believed in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. You can do that today. Second, how should you respond to this message? Well, Jesus was born of a woman and born under the law in order to redeem us and adopt us as his children. But but the Bible also says that you must be born again. And to be born again in the same way that you were born into this world to a mother and a father, and at that point, the Bible says that you were born into sin, you can also have a new birth, a second birth, where you are born again into the family of God, where God becomes your father, Jesus becomes your brother, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you and tells you that you're a child of God. And all these people here who also believe in Jesus become your spiritual family. And so you can be born again. Now, why should you respond to this message? Well, if Jesus redeems us and allows us to be sons and daughters of God, look, that's the greatest story that I've ever heard. And I can't think of better news than that. To be rescued from slavery to sin and death. To be made a child of God and an heir of all the promises of God. To know that when my life here on this earth ends, I will go to be with my God who is in heaven. I can't think of a better thing and to say, why should anyone respond to this message? You should, because it's the greatest news ever told. And so today on Christmas Eve, I pray that you would receive that gift, that you would know when Jesus came, that you would know how Jesus came, and you would know why Jesus came, and that you would very simply respond to what you have heard by saying, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you. I believe these words, and I might not know everything that there is to know here about what it means to follow you, Jesus. I've heard enough to say, God, I want to receive this gift today. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray for us. And in this prayer, I'm going to give anyone here an opportunity to pray to receive this gift of salvation in Jesus. All you need to do is simply, in your own heart, with faith's sake, God, I want to believe you, and I want to receive this gift that you're giving to me today. And so join me in prayer. 
God, I thank you for this time. I thank you, Jesus, that you came at the right time. And even right now feels like just the right time for people to come and receive you. Thank you, Jesus, that you were born of a virgin and that you lived a sinless and perfect life because we never have. And you died a death on a cross to pay the penalty of sin and death once and for all so that we can receive this gift of salvation. And so I pray right now for anyone who wants to receive this gift that they would just pray this prayer right now in their heart. Jesus, I believe that you are a savior. Jesus, I ask that you would come and save me from my sin. Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for me and that you were raised from the dead to give me new life. God, I want to come to you today and surrender my life to you. So Jesus, I pray that you would become my Lord, my Savior, and my friend here on Christmas Eve. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now look, if, if anyone here today prayed that prayer with me to receive Jesus, the Bible says you are born again. You have been redeemed and adopted into the family of God. And we would love to, uh, we'd love to hear about that. This is good news worth sharing. And, and so if you want to share with the people that you came with today, or you want to come and share with me that you prayed that prayer, we'd love to do that. And we'd love to encourage you and give you a Bible. But right now we're all going to stand up together. And we're going to worship Jesus because he's worthy. Amen? Amen. Amen.